Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 97, recorded September 13th, lucky 13, 2012. Right, so this will be our 39th episode of the 90s. Excellent. 39, man. It's our longest series we've ever done. (laughs) Well, there are a lot of issues. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're doing two whole series plus... We'll start squeezing in some Deep Space Nine here pretty soon. Yeah. So it was a, a big, ac- big decade, the 90s. Exactly. Big decade and a lot of Star Trek activity. Right. So uh, with the summer of 1993, DC Comics, as they did in 2002, started going to a bi-weekly comic publishing with the, uh, the next gen and the original series. So, you know, for that one month of the summer, you would get an issue a week. If you were a Star Trek fan, you'd live in the, the high life. <laughs> if you're a kid on a allowance budget, you're kind of screwed. Not so much. And we had early and late May last week, in the last episode, for Tops, right? Right. right. Now... Yeah, and I, right. So maybe, did we already pass the, the double month for next gen? Maybe, because these are the three we're doing today is for May, June, and July. They're not, they're, they're not, they're one per month. Mm. All right, well then, anyways. My well, point was, <laughs> DC yeah. Comics was cranking out the the Star Trek comics. Right. Uh, and, and hopefully, uh, no contributor to the fan burnout that happened to some people. <laughs> Obviously well, not true fans, if that fan happened to you. Fans. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> I was, you know, more Enterprise, more all of it. Come on, bring it on. Right. Well, Enterprise is still not till another, what, 10, 10 years or so from here. True. But that was, I think you'd probably say by that point, that's when it had really started to set in. And part of the reason why Enterprise never really had the kind of ratings they should have had. I think when Deep Space Nine went off the air, because um, it went off the air in, what, 1999? Right when you know Star Wars Episode One was coming out and everything, and I think I didn't really think that was the turning point for Star Trek kind of losing its its uh, appeal because Voyager was the only one on TV anymore, and and not that Voyager was bad, just I don't think it had the fan following that uh, Next Generation had. No, none of them did. I don't think so. So, and then yeah. Deep Space Nine was second most popular from a rating standpoint. Uh, I think it. I think it rode the coattails pretty well off of Next Gen. <laughs> I thought. I thought that one was your favorite. Oh, it's my favorite. Favorites. You said if it how how well it did in the ratings. So. Yes, that's what. In I the said. ratings at the Chambers House, it was up there. <laughs> good. Good. Okay. This week we're doing issue number forty-six, forty-seven, and forty-eight of the Next Generation. Excellent. Yes. And I have the honors of doing what may be the least good. Is that the right term of these three? Uh, uh, My least favorite. 
least favorite, yes, and it's my least favorite also. So oh, this okay. is a this is a sta- well, I think it's pretty obvious. This is a standalone <laughs> issue, dropped in the middle of things, and then after this we start a very interesting, I think, multi-issue story arc with, of course, our favorite villains, the Borg. Right. So. Right, a- and just to give a hint, some people have goatees. <laughs> <laughs> so we're actually mixing two of our favorites mm, kind of sort of villainous stuff right the borg and mirror universe kind of thing uh, spoiler just kidding. okay but we'll get to it soon so i don't want to spoil things yeah, so any more than i already have so, so now let's that do we've it. really seeded those interesting stories <laughs> that are going to hit the future let's go ahead and do 40 40- Yeah, exactly. Enjoy 46, Donovan. (laughs) All right. So it is entitled The Maze and came out in May 1993. The writers is Kevin Ryan and Michael Jan Friedman. Guest penciler is Carlos Garzon. Inker is Pablo Marcos. Letterer is Bob Panaha. Colorist, Julianne Farider. And editor is Alan Gold. So the cover shows Picard and a cat man uh, kind of facing off each other. The cat man has his fist up in the air, kind of waving it in like a why I oughta kind of motion. And uh, Kirk, or excuse me, Picard is standing there with clenched fists. And behind the two of them are some video screens that show uh, Riker, Data, Geordi in some sort of peril uh, type scenes so we'll get more into what they're doing there later so the story starts off with uh captain's log notifying us that uh, an evil dictator named zed from the planet pharisee has personally invited picard and the enterprise crew to his planet he suggests that he has changed his ways and that, and the Federation is convinced enough that they will send its flagship and the most famous crew in all of Starfleet. Picard, Riker, Geordi, and Data make up the away team. And as they are transported away from the Enterprise, they find themselves on the planet surrounded by large cat-like men holding large guns pointed right at them. Picard immediately tries to request a beam out. But Zed informs him that they've already encased the the crew inside of a force field that prevents beam out and communications. The guards with the guns herd Data, Riker, and Geordi out of the room. Once Zed and Picard are alone, Zed tells the captain that the other crew members are about to play a game of literal life and death. Zed has devised a maze that the three members of the crew will have to go through. If they do not complete the maze in before a time limit, they will all die. If any of them do survive the maze, then Picard and the winners will be allowed to leave. Zed tells Picard that that I'm oh, sorry. Zed tells Picard that he has the power to stop the games. He being Picard. All all Picard has to do is simply kill Zed, and the games will immediately stop. He warns Picard, though, that there is an energy barrier between the two of them and that he needs to get it past that first. To prove that the energy barrier is indeed there, Zed throws this furry cucumber thing, and when it hits an invisible wall, it burns up in a flash of light. Picard asks 
what they have done to earn Zed's wrath. Zed corrects him and says that they have earned nothing but his admiration. And he says that Picard and himself are not that dissimilar. They both make life and death decisions every day. Picard denies being anything like Zed, who is only doing this for pleasure and fun. Meanwhile, the three crewmen are running through the obstacle course. First, they have to get through a laser maze uh, without breaking any of those beams of light, similar to a Mission Impossible episode. They then have to swing across a pit of boiling acid. They then come across a large dragon on a leash. Don't think you misheard me there. It is a large green scaled dragon on a leash. Data speculates that perhaps he's the only one that could hold back the creature while the other two make a run for it. He makes an attempt, and he is successful at holding the creature's arms as the two other ones run past. However, the collar produces a massive shockwave that knocks Data and the creature unconscious. Riker and Geordi drag Data out of range from the waking creature. Jordy informs Riker that the shock must have tripped Data's fuse box and that he will not be able to revive him without some tools. Riker makes the call that he's going to carry their fallen comrade the rest of the way. They soon find another obstacle. It's a large bomb. Jordy is able to use his visor to see exactly how to disarm it. He does so, but he triggers a failsafe, and the radiation that emits from the bomb shorts out his visor and it causes him to become disoriented and also lose consciousness. Riker is now carrying Geordi over his shoulder and dragging Data by the scuff of his neck. Zed uses the intercom speakers and informs Riker that the next section will require that he only walk on tiles that are illuminated. If he steps on a darkened tile or is still standing on a tile when it goes dark, then a poisonous gas will kill everyone in the maze. In the overlooking spectator's booth, Zed tells Picard that he's giving Riker a chance to save himself by abandoning his friends. Picard then plays a hunch, and he leaps at the dictator and is able to pounce on the man without being zapped. His hunch that the force field only worked one way was correct. Picard takes Zed's gun away from him and aims it at the Catman. Zed seems pleased. If, if Picard shoots, then it will prove that he and Picard are the same, willing to kill to get what they want. Zed tells him that he's not afraid to die. Picard thinks that this is too easy and correctly concludes that the gun has no charge. And if he shot at Zed, it would only prove Zed being correct. Instead, Picard uses the gun to smash the windows overlooking the maze. He tells Zed that if the gas is triggered, then Zed will die along with the four captives. Zed proves that he is indeed afraid to die and turns off the maze, and allows Picard and the crew to return to the Enterprise. Picard tells Zed before they beam away that if he finds out that Zed ever tries this game on another Federation citizen, then he will return, and he will not be in a playful mood. The End Boy, talk about a nebulous threat. I will not be in a playful mood. So what are you going to be then? A morose? Um, a little testy? Or are you going to use your big boy ship guns? It's like, I don't know. Yeah, and I find it odd that they just leave. I mean, yeah. they did try to murder four 
Federation citizens. Yep. I mean, whether he's part of the Federation or not, you would think that there would be some sort of ramification for that. You would think so. Some price to be paid. Another thing is, speaking of the Federation, Zed sends a message saying, hey, I'd like to join, or whatever message he sent. Right. Then he says, oh, yeah, but by the way, I really want Picard there. And he's got to beam down with his first officer. <laughs> and, you, don't mind, you, don't, and, you don't mind that, do you? Yeah, I mean, he was very specific on which four people he want, and the Federation was like, well, we should do it. That's right. That's right. It's like, okay, so does Zed have some – did I miss it? And Zed has some kind of magical machine or uh, mineral that the Federation needs or something? I mean – no, he's it's just like, a bad guy that they think, oh, maybe he's good now. We should go check. <laughs> and we should send our most valuable assets. Yeah, and then you come back and you say, uh, no, if you want to talk to us, we'll send who we want to, and we'll beam down the people we think are appropriate. Exactly. Click, you know, Geminate transmission, you know, forget about it. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Uh, I did not get why they would just uh, give in to his demands. Right. And, uh, I mean, just it's just such a ridiculous issue. It, it is. Um, how about, okay, so which superhero does Riker look like at the bottom of page six? Page six. Let's see if we both guess the same person. The swinging one? The swinging one. With his perfect swinging form. Well, the, what I was thinking was Tarzan, but maybe you're thinking Batman. No. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Come on, look at him. Oh, I mean, what? yeah, a, a lot of times Batman is swinging and stuff, and, you know, he's just a little bit more of a beefy guy. But in this picture, it's like Picard's form is perfect, gymnast perfect. You mean Riker? He, Riker, sorry. So Riker, is, his form is gymnast perfect, and he's got his two legs up in a perfect, you know, straightforward arc, up in the air and stuff. It's like, um, you know... I, it just just feels more like the athleticism that you get from Spidey rather than Batman. But whatever. There you go. Okay, so I found out. Batman. You vote Batman. I vote Spider-Man. Well, my original vote was Tarzan. Tarzan. Okay. But I didn't know Tarzan? if you would count him as a superhero. Uh, you know, I wouldn't. He doesn't but... wear masks, so is he really considered a superhero? I don't know. Well, Wonder Woman doesn't wear a mask. Hmm, good point. Ah, well played. No. Uh, I, yeah. And I was going to say, well, Tarzan doesn't have any special powers. It's like, well, neither does Batman. But whatever. Exactly. And if you think about it, Tarzan is the exact opposite of Superman. Okay. They're, they're both aliens, so they both grow up on a foreign soil that uh, was not okay. there, where and, they and, and a little bit more figure. Okay. I, I, I get it with Tarzan. Okay. Right. And they both uh, gain their quote-unquote skills or superpowers or whatever because they're living in a place where they're not supposed to be living. And I don't know. Okay. They just see – it seems very – There's some commonalities. Moses maybe also kind of the same way. You know, there's a lot of parallels. Hmm, Moses. Yeah, you know, he grew up <laughs> – <laughs> I I think you're stretching things a little. I think you I think you stepped over a line. Uh, Moses, Star, and Superman—they're all the same people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I know. That's funny. Okay. okay. So uh, on page two, no, page three, 
Okay. When, uh, you know, the Catman is showing the maze for the first time. Did right. you kind of question what that furry thing in his hand was? It looks like a cat's paw. I mean, it looks like a li- a real lion's paw. Right. Or his uh, tail or some other type of appendage. Yeah, but it kind of looks like there's three fingers at the top of the paw, and it and you kind of see a little bit of white that might be a claw. I don't know. Where are you seeing white? It's at the, it's the first time you see the paw, the the cat's paw. Well, you see the cat's paw on page two, and you think I thought well, maybe it was his hand. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, page four then. When he actually throws it. Mm, yeah, right. Before he throws it. Right, right, right. So no, I'm he's, talking about he's, on page three. He's holding it up to his face. Right. No, I'm talking about page three when he's kind of okay. holding it lower than Picard's arm. Well, you can't tell what it is there. But no, the only place – the only place – Go ahead. It, it looks like a big fuzzy <laughs> rabbit's foot or something. But but the only place where it actually looks like something that I could identify is that panel I mentioned on page four. Right. And, and even then – and even then it's a guess. You know, It's not conclusive. Well, maybe we can cut this part out, but on when I was first looking through this and I saw page three and I looked at his hand holding this uh, furry appendage thing, I questioned what it was. Was it his tail? Was it some other type of appendage? In oh, the you are filthy. You know I, that? I uh, you are I, – I, uh, I don't even know if I can go on. <laughs> you coming from the guy that spent – I am so – uh, Troy caressing a knife. <laughs> well, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> and where Riker was holding his knife? That's right. <laughs> Just telling you, it was an odd picture. And then I was relieved when I turned the page and I saw that it was just something he was holding. <laughs> yes. And not attached in any way. Anything. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So. Yeah, it, well, in that picture on the right, I was thinking more tail than um you know phallic thing but uh yeah i guess i can see that but yeah then once you turn the page on page four it definitely looks like a claw okay (laughs) okay let's get back to the real review all right so before we started watching recording this episode my son and i were watching a tv show called wipeout and this feels a lot like an episode of wipeout (laughs) the silliness so it, okay. So the wipeout is kind of like a kids, you know, obstacle course game kind of thing. Well, it's not a kids; it, they're adults. Oh. But oh, okay, okay. I think kids are the their target audience. Okay. You haven't seen it. It's it's kind of like Ninja not. Warrior, but everybody falls in the water and gets. Oh, Ninja Warrior! Well, now I know. What's Ninja Warrior? Oh, come on, Ken. Oh, come on. It's an obstacle course that they run. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, yes. But Ninja Warrior is, they take it seriously, whereas in Wipeout, it's all for fun. eggs. Good. But okay, it's a well, stupid like obstacle that. course that they have to do all these things, and swinging over pits of acid just reminds me of that show. <laughs> Yeah. I will say that they don't have giant dragons in, in either one of those shows. That's uh, probably cost prohibitive. Anyways, I I won't keep beating up this issue because I don't have anything else to say about it except the dragon. (laughs) Go ahead, talk. 
Oh, you, you always badmouth Gold Key, and, and this, to me, having a dragon in a maze was very Gold Key-ish to me. Um, I thought it was pretty dumb also. Obviously, it was like an artificial kind of thing in some way, shape, or form. Like, maybe mechanical, but uh, it's still, why a dragon? It's not mechanical, it's a real, it was a real dragon. <laughs> of course it was. Um... Which I know that's hypocritical because I know that, you know, in all the universe, we've seen Hortas, we've seen Gorn, so why can't there also be dragons? Right. I get that I'm being hypocritical, but it's a dragon on a leash. Yeah. It's just silly. It's chained chained down. Right. Because they didn't want him to to move around the maze anywhere other than where he was because that's where the trap was for Commander Data. Right. And his collar was made to emit this radiation or flash or whatever it was that that flipped his circuit breaker right well another thing why is zed a lion guy i mean you look at his face and his mane and everything and he's a lion guy it's like all the different shapes you could have an alien be in why a lion guy well we've seen quite a few cat people in star trek stuff yeah and I never thought that made any sense, personally. I, I've never really been that You'd rather keen them on... look born-like? Well, I, there's so many possibilities. Why make it look like a cat? I don't know. Maybe a Tholian with his little crystalline face? I don't know. Cats uh, don't I don't know. I mean, well, it, it, well, if... well, why don't they have any dog people? You know, have like a, 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 a <laughs> beagle alien or something. I don't know. Why always the cats? Why why do the cats get all the aliens in yeah, Star that's Trek? Good point. Cats and lizards. True, lizards. Mhm. 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 Right. Don't know. Don't know. Well, uh, did you notice where it appears as if they got their dialogue balloons mixed up on page seven? Uh, either the dialogue balloons or the <clears throat> coloring errors. Yeah. So go I... ahead and tell us what it is, so that uh, the people at home will know what we're talking about. <laughs> Well, on page seven, in the center panel, there's a spot where they're right in front of the dragon, and on the right, you see Riker at the far right, and you see Data standing right next to him. You can pretty much tell not only by their uniform colors, but, you know, other cues, too. And it seems to me that they've got Riker and Data's uh, balloons mixed up. Yeah, I had the same note, but you can't see Riker's beard, so what other attributes were you saying that that's definitely Riker aside from the red shirt. Well, red shirt, very broad shoulders, and, you know, Data isn't quite as burly looking. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm with you, and I think it is more of a a bubble error than it is a coloring error, but I was just giving them a benefit of a doubt that it could have been either one. Yeah, yeah. But it makes more sense. I mean, uh, the coloring matches, or their their placement there matches their placement in other panels. So I think you're right. I think it's just a point. Oh, good point. Because the panel directly above Riker's on the right. Right. And then and and then they show right, and then they show him from from behind in the second panel. Okay, gotcha. So I'm with you. I I think it is a, a bubble error, but it is a little confusing. It's quite confusing. I and thought, why is Riker not using contractions anymore? What's going on? <laughs> exactly. And, and why did Data just go up and try to wrestle this thing? Because <laughs> I mean, aren't there, aren't there, <laughs> aren't there probably, I don't know, 
you know, maybe better ways to go about it. I don't know. It's and like, I did mention it in the synopsis, but he actually tries once and then gets thrown all the way back, and then he has right. to go go back. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah, like, like the critter hits him with his snout or something? Because yeah. they don't actually sh- – they don't show the impact, but they nope. show Data flying back away from the dragon. Right. I don't know. It's pretty dumb. Oh, so you agree with me? No, I I don't think the dragon was a good was a good <laughs> selection. I mean, it's got wings and everything. I mean, it's it's a dragon. That's I was it. waiting for him to start blowing fire. <laughs> now they're lucky that he didn't have that. I'll tell you that. Right. That would have been a real problem. I did think it was kind of interesting when Zed was talking about he always sees life as a game, and and then then he starts comparing himself to Picard about him doing the same thing, seeing life as a game and, you know, laying your pieces out on the table on away missions or whatever, then seeing what happens and stuff. And it's like, man, you got, you could not be more wrong, Zed. That is not any Picard that I know. But I bet even though outwardly, you know, when they have a big challenge or something, you know, about in the first 10 minutes of the episode, and then by the end, everything's magically resolved due to their ingenuity and everything. You can just see Picard probably internally, like, fist pumping, going, oh, yeah, beat the Borg again, yeah. <laughs> you think so? I think so, inside. You mm-hmm. never see it, but inside. Is that why he runs off to his ready room every time ready room. something happens? <laughs> exactly. I'll be in my ready room. I'll be in my ready room. Fist pumping, yeah. <laughs> that's funny uh yeah i don't know maybe yeah uh, and and i will to give this story credit i did kind of like the end where he breaks the glass and says if you're truly okay with dying then then we'll all die together i, I mean it's kind of cheesy but it was the highlight of the story i thought uh, it was so the clever picard he came up with a clever solution. And you knew he was in the end. He's going to figure something out. And he fi- figured a couple things out about the laser not actually being loaded. But then ultimately, the the really good thing, uh, I agree, when he broke that uh, glass and said, we're all going to die. Although I will say this. Where exactly is that control room in comparison to the overall maze? It was right so, above it. Well, okay, but they keep on walking through the maze. I mean, you know, so they, they, they're walking and stuff, and they're swinging across uh, <laughs> bubbling pools of liquid or something, and they're fighting dragons, and they're disarming neutron bombs, and, and then they're going to get to the part where they got to step on the right squares. It's like, it seems like they've been covering some ground, yet they still seem to be able to see everything from that same control room. Right. So I'm just wondering, how is that layout? And obviously, at the last place they are, where the gas is going to go off, they obviously have to be close enough to it. So this is not closed-circuit TV monitoring anything. They have to be close close enough that that gas is going to get into the control room also. So I'm just kind of wondering, physically, how is that working? Right. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. And I kind of thought that the gas that he was talking about there at the end is the same gas that would kill them if they didn't pass it by a certain time. So I thought, well, maybe the gas covers the whole thing and kills the dragon too. I don't know. Uh Uh, (laughs) And that's why he was so confident that – that's why 
Picard was so confident that it would make it up to the control room, but it doesn't really say. Yeah. What if the whole maze is a holodeck, and they think they're walking through it, but actually they're moving through the same room that just keeps changing and has a holodeck dragon? Hmm. I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. So, that's my guess, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense physically. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anything else? No, not really. All right, so let's jump into the uh, the beginning of a, a fairly long story arc. Yes, and a pretty good one because, as we said before, we have we ha- there be Borg here. All right, so this is Next Gen issue number forty-seven. The title is "The Worst of Both Worlds," Part One: The Bludgeonings of Chance. Nice long title. Publish date is June 1993. Creative team is Michael Jan Friedman, writer, penciler Peter Krauss, inker Pablo Marcos, colorist Juliana Ferreter, letterer Bob Benaha, editor Alan Gold. The cover shows the interior of a large cargo area on a ship, probably the Enterprise. Riker is in an unusual purple uniform jacket, holding a phaser on a surprised Picard. Behind Picard, and, the re- and to the reader's left, Worf is punching the lights out of a blonde guy in the same purple jacket uniform as Evil Riker. I'll call him Evil Riker in this case. Two more guys in purple jackets are on the ground next to Geordi and Data, uh, who might have been responsible for them being on the ground. Not sure. In the upper right-hand corner, text is stating, The epic struggle begins. And it also says, welcome to the worst of both worlds. I must say, action will be had in this issue, and it looks like it might be a mirror universe story. The story opens with Picard's log telling us the Enterprise will be arriving soon at Mardian 3, on schedule to carry out a standard delivery of supplies and equipment. A routine mission... A routine mission, to be sure, but the planet's proximity to Wolf 359, the site of the Federation's disastrous stand against the Borg, reminds Picard of how vulnerable they were, and still may be. There is nothing to stop the Borg from trying to invade the Federation again. Will they be ready next time? Picard goes on to recount his special role in that invasion as Locutus, the Borg spokesman to all of mankind. Though he was an unwilling invader as Locutus, he was an invader nonetheless. But he escaped that fate, did he not? Isn't Locutus just a historical footnote at this point? Meanwhile, elsewhere on the ship, Dr. Crusher and Geordi are playing a spirited game of future racquetball on the holodeck. She beats Geordi again... But what the heck? The guy is blind for cripe Pete's. Come on! After another thrumping, Geordi asks Dr. Crusher about Wesley. She says judging from the report she is getting, he is maturing at a rapid rate and is more like his father Jack all the time. Elsewhere in Riker's quarters, he is sitting down to a dinner with Deanna. He made her one of her favorite dishes, a ginger chicken souffle. He asks her what would have happened if they decided to be more than just friends. She says that they would not have developed such a good friendship, and they toast friendship. On the bridge, Data tells Picard of an anomaly that the sensors are picking up dead ahead. 
it is distorting time and space in its vicinity. At first Picard orders Data to change course to avoid it, but keep close enough to examine it. Data tells Picard it is growing at a prodigious rate, and they may not be able to avoid it. In the end, they are drawn into the anomaly. After a rough ride, they come out the other end, however with no hull damage, which is amazing, but with propulsion and weapon systems down. Later in the conference room, Picard has assembled his bridge officers to discuss the phenomena and their situation. Data takes the lead on explaining that they appear to be in exactly the position in time and space prior to the incident. However, scans of Mardian III show a lifeless world where the human population was over 50,000 just a few minutes ago. That and other differences leads Data to the conclusion they are in an alternate dimension that is similar to their own but with distinct differences. Data points out dozens of specific anomalous differences that seem to radiate from a central point, planet Earth. Though this is all fascinating, Picard says their priority is to repair the ship and return to their own dimension. Agreement from everyone, when suddenly they receive word from the bridge that a ship has entered sensor range. They obtain a visual of the ship and see it's the battle section of a galaxy-class starship. They conclude that this dimension may have a federation of its own, perhaps not all that different from their own. They attempt to contact it, but their hails go unanswered. They come to the conclusion that this federation could be hostile even to another federation ship. War's tactical sensor station indicates a power buildup on the other ship. Not weapons, but rather transporters. They are not boarding the Enterprise. They have transported the bridge crew to their ship. A hand-to-hand -hand battle commences that finally ends with the other ship's versions of the crew holding our Dimensions Enterprise crew at the point of many phasers. Picard wants to speak to the captain of their Enterprise. The other Dimensions Riker apologizes and tells him he is the captain of the alternate Dimensions Enterprise. Sorry to disappoint. Back on the Enterprise, Dr. Crusher calls to the bridge to report the condition of a patient. She is surprised when no one answers and the computer confirms that the captain and all his bridge officers are not on the ship. On the alternate Enterprise battle section, Captain Riker is briefing Picard and his officers on the situation in his dimension. In his alternate dimension, Captain Riker and his crew were not successful in getting the captain back and using his connection to the Collective to defeat the Borg. Locutus lives, and the Borg have been slowly assimilating Earth ever since. Pockets of humanity fight on, but the assimilation continues. The Enterprise saucer section was lost to the Borg attack, losing a significant portion of the crew, including friends and loved ones. Data, Troy, Guinan, Keiko are but a few who died. The Enterprise battle section has been reduced to a role of gadfly, using hit-and-run tactics as they can to distract the Borg and keep the Earth resistance alive, but unfortunately nothing more. They devote every waking moment to keeping the ship running and staying one step ahead of the Borg, for if they don't, then all humanity is lost. Captain Riker goes on to say, when they spotted Picard's ship, he hoped they could now gain allies in their solitary cause. Picard and the rest are surprised by this and asks what Captain Riker means. Riker cuts 
to the chase and says, if Picard and his crew were able to beat the Borg in your dimension, you can do so in this dimension. He tells them they are going to help he and his crew free Earth from the Borg before it is too late. Captain Riker tells them this is an order rather than a request. Our Commander Riker says to hold on a minute. Their rescue of Picard worked because the Borg did not expect it. They had the element of surprise. Captain Riker made the attempt, and it already failed. The commander says even if they help, the Borg will recognize what they are attempting a second time and crush them. Captain Riker says maybe so, but they have no other options. They are fighting a losing war. It's just a matter of time, the way they are going now. And they must do something before Earth is completely lost and they are destroyed. With Picard's help, they might actually be able to win. To be continued. Da 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 da. <laughs> I love the sound effects. Me too. That is great. I I I love when they did at the end at the part one of, at the end of part one of Best of Both Worlds. Right. And, and I had to tell you that because you might not necessarily have been able to tell from what I just did. I I knew what it was. You've done it before. Good. And I loved it then, and I love it now. Ah, oh, good, good. Okay. So what do you think, huh? I thought this was a good setup. I thought it was a good setup, too. Uh, I I thought the differences between the alternate crew and our crew were interesting also. You mean the goatees? Everybody wearing a goatee? <laughs> Riker has a goatee. Jordy has a goatee. Some woman had a goatee. Okay. Wait sure. a minute. Wait All a right. minute. I might have made that last part up. I, I think I missed that. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Yeah, and they're not, they're not, the alternate dimension are, is not an evil dimension. It's not the mirror universe. It's exactly. It's a slightly alternate universe. Exactly. In which some people do have goatees like Jordy, but uh, Riker already has a beard, so they have chosen to make him look a little different in a way that I did not describe in the synopsis. So we can talk about it now. Well, I'll be honest, I didn't even notice that Riker had the goatee until just now. I thought Jordy was the only one with the goatee. And then I looked at it a little closer, and I'm like, oh, Riker also is goateed. Exactly. And so what does he have in addition to the goatee to tell you? This is not normal, Riker? Uh, a Nick Fury eye patch. A Nick Fury eye patch with, with some extra futuristic uh, add-ons. Yeah, like a little mini visor right in the middle. Well, as in Geordi's mini visor, right. 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 So it looks like some kind of a cybernetic eyepiece or something built into the eye patch right which does rotate from side to side so is it some sort of lens that's that's rotating because if you look at page 16 it's kind of canted to the left and then if you look at page 17 it's canted towards the right so right i'm assuming that it's wiggling back and forth uh, right. surely it, it couldn't be a, an artist mistake no I... <laughs> oh <laughs> yes it could but uh, i do think it's functional Right, but does it move yeah. around like a like a lens would, like a artificial I, lens? I, I don't know, but what what you seem to be, what I think you're mentioning, are the two vertical lines you right. kind of see yep. in there, you know, almost like the lights going between those two vertical lines. I'm not quite sure, but there's kind of like two vertical lines there, and you're right, it keeps on like shifting, like it's turning, right, to some degree within the round uh, eyepiece that's built into the uh, eye patch. Right. 
So aside from that difference, and Jordy also has a extra bit added to his visor, like maybe it got broken in half and then they oh. welded something together to keep it back together. That's a good point. So it's almost like uh, a future geek, you know, <laughs> right. with the tape on the middle of the black uh, thick glasses. Right, exactly. Harry Potter style. <laughs> right. And then uh, O'Brien has a scar on his eyeball. He, uh, his, his well, face. across his face, across his right. eye. He still has his eye, but it looks like he got pretty good gouge. Um, the the uniforms are a little different. They've oh yeah, got why don't a, you talk about the uniforms? Well, well, they vary in. The one thing that they definitely most all of them have are these what appear to be superfluous, um, <laughs> leather, just chunks of leather, thick leather on their shoulders, almost like. I don't know, pads? Yeah, saddlebags or something? I don't know. Saddlebags. Saddlebags. They're kind of like saddlebags, yeah. Um, They don't appear to have a function, but but they're there on everybody except, I think, for Worf, because Worf has a very different kind of a shoulder thing going on. Uh, And also, Worf almost looks like the Hulk. Doesn't he look really big? Yeah, he's very menacing. Yeah, I mean, he looks, looks taller than normal, and he just looks incredibly broad. Just really big. Well, I think it's um, those shoulders. I mean, he's basically wearing, like, football pads, it looks like, almost on his shoulders. Yeah. Right. Makes him look a little broader than normal. Right. And and he nailed our wharf pretty good, boy, in that, <laughs> yeah, in that so first on, fight. Yeah, on page 15. He, right. Yeah, gets him pretty good. That's yeah. a cool shot. That is. Uh, so, so um, alternate dimension wharf just totally shoves his hands up and hits our wharf under the chin with his, with the palms of both of his hands and it's uh it looks like quite a bit of an impact right yeah, and it's kind of cool to see those two wharfs fighting each other cuz one is looks kind of mangy and the other one looks you know kind of well kept like yeah. like our wharf exactly it was a pretty uh, cool contrast i thought right and riker's pretty mangy too um, maybe a little bit of extra growth around the uh, goatees on his on his cheeks, right? In some panels. And then the other big differences to their uniforms is the they got uh, like hiking boots on. Oh right, Le- so le- brown has... brown leather hiking boots instead of black ones. Right. Or black. They kind of. So do they have actually boots or they have shoes? Because you don't see any kind of upper part to their to the normal next gen casts. Uh, right. I always thought that it was boots, but yeah. But I don't know for sure. Yeah. The pants come down over them, so it's kind of right. hard to tell. And then they have a a cool belt. It's it's probably the the one thing on their these alternate uniforms that I really like. So they oh, all have belt. like a belt on that has the you know the the. Um, Starfleet swoosh delta sig- symbol, whatever you want to call it, right? As the belt buckle, so it, right. it almost looks like Kirk's casual wear in the original series. Yep. On how it wrapped around his chest, but this wraps around your waist. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Is that is kind of cool. And then the other difference is what the communicator badge. The com badge was a little different. It's got uh, three horizontal gold bars behind the normal silvery swoosh. Right, which is we saw that in um, an episode of the uh, of season four, Future Imperfect, where 
it was showing like an alternate future or a fake future in in Riker's timeline uh, where some aliens were trying to make him think that he was in the future with his wife that ended up being a you know a holodeck character or oh, whatever. Oh right, 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 right. But in that, that future, they had badges similar to this, except the difference on that was that the bars behind the swoosh mm-hmm. rep- represented their rank. So like the huh. captain had four bars. Uh, an ensign had one bar, you know, the commander had three. Right. So, but in this, this comic, everybody has three, three yep. bars behind the swoosh. Yep. But I thought that was kind of cool that they, they tied it in with that story. Right. Uh, my big thing about this one, just pulling, take, pulling back from the details of, uh, differences and uniforms and stuff and just taking a broader look at this. The thing I think is cool about this episode is... It is investigating something, uh, a very interesting storyline idea that we only saw a glimpse of in the past. So, you mean War 359? Uh, a Wolf 359? Oh, did no. I say Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> he did. <laughs> it, actually, the episode parallels. Right. Where and I looked this up because I didn't I didn't know a few details about it. I didn't remember exactly, but in parallels, two hundred and eighty five thousand Enterprise D's all ended up popping in from different dimensions, mm-hmm. all at the same point in space and time. So it was uh, a freaky. So this was towards the big ending. I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have seen this episode and remember it. But in there, there was one of the Enterprise that popped in. We find out by looking at the view scanner and, or view screen and talking to them, we found out that there's a Riker, a very uh, harried, haggled Riker uh, on the bridge, and it's a very damaged Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And in their case, I think they actually ran or something. Did they actually say they ran? Well, the main point is they weren't able to defeat the Borg. The Borg are all over the place. They've controlled Earth. You know, this Enterprise is on the run and worse for wear. So I thought that whole idea was very interesting. And then, then I, I'm pretty sure that that Enterprise ended up blowing up or something like that. Yeah, it didn't for, make it. Right. But the main point is it was it got you thinking, well, if they didn't defeat the Borg, then what would have happened? How would have things have played out? So I thought that was a really interesting storyline idea. And this comic is actually investigating something like that. Right, I agree with you. This this story reminded me a lot of the parallels um, episode. But what's what's cool about that is that that was a season seven episode. This story came out, you know, midway through season six. Right. So this story predates that episode by about a year. Cool. So, but no, I agree with you. I I liked that idea. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway. Let's see. Um, uh, their dimensions Locutus was a little different looking also. So they, they, they show a shot of Picard as, as Locutus. On page um, six. Um, page 21. 21. Right. So this one, he's got mostly a red outfit as opposed to all black. Um, and they don't show a laser kind of sight over one of his eyes. Um. Now, maybe they were showing him before he was fully switched over, but by this point, they've already, you know, they've been at, they've been chipping away at Earth for a, while, for a while, I have the impression. So you'd think he'd have his full transformation. So he looks kind of Picard-like. 
you know? A, a, a few less things plugged into his head that you can see. So I thought that was kind of interesting and different. Right. Yeah, I had the same note about the red. I, I thought that this was a picture of him getting put together. Okay. Because it looked like a lot of stuff was heading towards Picard's face. But you're right, it, it it's not clear as to at what point that that uh, picture is supposed to be taken from. You know, you make a good point because I'm looking at the, it again, and I do see that there's something above his head which looks like an eyepiece. Right, which is not You're actually right. attached yet. You're right. There, there. So that's when he, they were, they were modifying him. Yeah, but I don't understand okay. why his his suit is red. Yeah, that's um, that's. I guess they wanted to make it different a little bit. Right. Right, and, and so that I mean, I guess we'll talk about it more next issue. But I'm just curious as to you know, because reading this, I thought that. Wolf three five nine was the turning point of between this dimension and our dimension, but as we'll find out, there's there's some other slight differences even before um, the Borg start attacking. Right. So, did you give it any thought as to how different this this really is from our universe? Mm, mm, uh, well. Other than the things we've discussed so far, right. no, you might have spotted some more things that I haven't. Okay. Perhaps? I don't know. Right, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because uh, obviously they make it to Earth. The Enterprise is not able to stop them. Data is is destroyed, so he can't form the link right. to get into into Picard's brain. So all that kind of makes sense. Right. Um, it all makes sense, you know, if that was because that's what I thought that was the turning point between the two universes. But but there might I, I'm wondering if the the, you know, if the universes the, never were 100 percent the same, if it truly oh. was a mirror universe from further back. Well, let's see. Did, did they actually mention the encounter of three, five, nine when Riker is recounting things? Uh, Yeah, because I think there was even okay. still the wreckage and everything. Okay, well then I'll just I mean one thing is the the uh the com badges, right? Yeah, right. I mean if if they were the only ship left in all of all of Federation, why would they bother changing their com badges to this this different design? Well, so I'm assuming I, they already had that different design before. Oh yeah, I, I could, Oh, I see what you're trying to say. Sorry, I didn't I didn't 100% understand what you were yeah. saying. No, no, the yeah, this is a parallel dimension. There's lots of differences. I mean, there probably always were lots of differences. Right, right. You know, but back I, in, I, but when I first back read in the it, Renaissance. I thought, yeah. Well, I was just thinking that 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 was the turning point between the two dimensions. Oh, oh the point of divergence. Right. Yeah, I, I think they were always dimensions that were different from each other. Right. Through all of time. I got you. I understand what you're saying now. Got me. Okay. I got you. I don't think it's right, but I do. I think it always had some differences. Yeah, but. well, I mean, we'll see in next issue that there's other things that happened before Wolf three, five nine, three two nine, right. whatever it is. There you so go. they they obviously diverged earlier. Yeah. So I think right. you're right. Right. All right. So enough about the right stuff. Uh, what do you think about on page eight when Data gets <laughs> shot? Uh oh. Uh, let me go back to it. Uh, I thought he got shot pretty good. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I mean, he's like off the ground, 
with getting shot. Right. It's a, it's a it's a pretty cool visual. I mean, he does yeah. get up without any type of damage, but it's a cool shot of him getting shot. It is. The only thing is, wait, I mean, he they must have been on strong stun or something. But right. I don't remember. I don't remember people being knocked off their feet with a stun, but. Right, and the last time that we saw Data getting shot in the comic books, he just stood there and took it and just kept walking forward back in the, uh, was that issue four or five in the uh, the miniseries, the first miniseries? Oh, okay. Remember that? I think you're right. When he was doing his Superman impression? <laughs> <laughs> right. Or in uh, First Contact when he's shot multiple times with a machine gun. He has a machine gun in first contact? Data? No, Data shot with a machine gun. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, and he just kind of stands there and kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he's able to shrug off a lot of things, but that's okay. This is for this is for coolness factor, so we can, yeah. we can I, make allowances. And I'm going to give it to him because I liked it. I thought it looked yeah. cool. It does look cool. All right, and then on page 16, uh, when it shows like – the group shot of we're the alternate universe kind of you know heroic shot type thing with right Riker in the middle. Yep. There's there's a redheaded woman that's like two people down uh, right behind yeah. Jordy and before. Yeah. Well, the, the hair the hair is wrong. So who who is that supposed to be? You think? That's uh, Shelby. Okay. See, I wasn't sure if it was Shelby or if it was Crusher. No. That's... Well, on the first read, I definitely thought it was Crusher. After the next issue, I thought it might have been Shelby with the wrong color hair. I think it's Shelby with the wrong color Yeah, so we, we kind of jumped the gun a little bit because we definitely see Shelby referred to as Shelby in the next issue. But right. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, that's Shelby. But it looks like she's wearing blue, though, right? She's wearing blue, which is the wrong uniform color. So, but... okay. All right. Yeah, well, that's a good point because that's much more Crusher than it is. Uh... Right. And I thought, well, yeah. Crusher has short hair. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's it's Shelby though, but. Yeah. I think you're right, and we'll know why in a minute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. What else you got? Nope, that's it. I like the artwork. I think the artwork's quite good. Um, I think the writing's pretty good. Like it. Yeah, it was it was a really good issue. Okay, shall we do the next one? All right. Yes. So the next one is uh, issue number forty-eight. Came out July of nineteen ninety-three, entitled "The Belly of the Beast." All the writing and art staff is exactly the same, so I won't repeat it. Okay. Can already gave it all. So the cover shows Picard and Data in a shuttlecraft, looking out the view screen, and we're seeing a up close and personal shot of the Borg cube. And there's lots of phasers being shot out of the Borg cube and towards the Borg cube. And both Data and Picard look a little startled or concerned. The title on the cover says, No Turning Back. So the um, I'm going to call the uh, our Enterprise the, uh, the, real, the real crew, and I'm going to call the other ones the alternate crew. I don't remember how you were separating them in your last synopsis, so... Here we go. So the normal Enterprise crew is in a conference room aboard the alternate Enterprise's battle section. And the alternate Riker is talking or is not taking Picard's refusal to help lightly. 
He stresses that the rift between their two universes should stay open long enough for Picard's crew and ship to help them free this universe's version of Picard and perhaps save Earth. Back on the original Enterprise, uh, the alternate versions of Commander Shelby, Wesley, and O'Brien and some others beam over to the empty bridge. O'Brien and Shelby talk about possible mutiny since they both feel that Riker was the reason they lost Wolf 359. Shelby checks the crew roster and is surprised when she sees that Wesley's mother and O'Brien's wife are still alive in this universe. O'Brien is shocked to hear that his counterpart even has a daughter named Molly. On the alternate Enterprise, the crew have a chance to discuss their options in private. They all agree for one reason or another to help this universe in any way they can. Alternate Riker arrives and he hears the news. Picard tells Alternate Riker that he will need Dr. Crusher with him, since she was instrumental in the freeing of Picard from the Borg in the original timeline. Alternate Riker contacts Shelby and asks her to beam Crusher over. Somewhere on the Enterprise, Crusher is sipping tea with a Caucasian woman who we later learn is actually Keiko O'Brien. A young girl is running around who is also supposed to be Molly, uh, although they don't look anything like their acting counterparts. While Crusher is having her tea, she's discussing how she cannot contact anyone from the bridge for quite some time, and she hopes everybody up there is doing okay. She might have tried half-heartedly to get up there, but not too hard since she is now just relaxing. Alternate Shelby makes a brief announcement stating that she is in temporary command and that the crew is working on the engine issue. Just then, the door to the room opens, and alternate O'Brien and Wesley arrive. Keiko rushes in and embraces him, but then she notices the scarred face and realizes that this is not her O'Brien. Molly does not seem to notice the differences and thinks that this is her daddy. Alternate O'Brien says that he just wants to look at her for a moment or two. Crusher also realizes that this is not her Wesley. However, she allows them to escort her to the transporter room. While walking, alternate Wesley tells her of his mother's fate. She was still head of Starfleet Medical when the Borg overtook Earth. Wesley asks her if she thinks that she can really beat back the Borg and possibly rescue his mother. She promises that she's going to give it a try. In the alternate Enterprise's engineering room, alternate Geordi is treating Data very poorly. Roe and the real Geordi try to defend their friend. Alternate Geordi relents and perhaps admits that he is lashing out since he misses his, his version of Data, who died during the Borg attack. The Enterprise engines are soon back up, and the two ships start heading towards Earth. In the conference room, the Rikers, the Wharfs, Picard, Crusher, and Troy are laying out their plans. Alternate Worf talks about how he and Data tried to sneak aboard the Borg cube, but they were attacked by the cube. Data was killed, but Worf was able to make it back. Riker tells them that this was the same plan that they had, but they fired antimatter at the cube to distract them long enough for the shuttle to make it within the cube's shields. Alternate Riker takes this news very hard, since he disagreed with Shelby when she had the same plan. Picard then drops a bombshell on all the plans. He says he will be going with alternate Worf and Data on the shuttle to rescue their version of Picard. When it is agreed that the shuttle can only transport three people away from the cube, alternate Worf is taken off the mission. 
He is very upset about this, since he has waited for far too long to get his revenge. Alternate Riker has to imply that he will use a phaser on Worf if he does not calm down. Commander Shelby informs the captains that they have arrived at Earth and the Borg Cube. Riker informs Shelby that they will be attacking with antimatter. She makes a sarcastic comment that she's heard that suggestion before. Somewhere. Before long, they are within weapons range of the cube, and they start their attack. Once the antimatter spread is launched, so is the shuttle with Data and Picard. They get within range, and they beam over as planned. Once on board, they fight off several Borg. The number of Borg are much higher than they had expected, but they are able to fight through and get to the chamber where Locutus should be. Picard is shocked that the room is empty. The issue ends with Picard yelling, Where is Locutus? To be continued. Not a bad impression, Donovan. You like it? <laughs> no. No, no. I'm <laughs> kidding. No, of course I do. I, I like it. <laughs> ah, Picard, you are so uh, so great to do impressions of. Yes. So, I'm really surprised how surprised Picard was, considering that it's like, what, weeks? Months? I don't know. Didn't they say it was years? Yeah. Years? Is it years? Okay. Well, maybe it was years. I don't. I don't remember well, what at they least said. Three years, right? Because that was the end of season three, and this is the, almost <laughs> the end of season six. Okay, fine. Whatever. Three years. It's been three years. You know. You figure. You know. Maybe Lucius might want to stretch <laughs> his legs. You know. Maybe move to another part of the ship. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. No. And I don't understand I... why there's only one cube. I mean, they've they've been parked over Earth for three years, just. Hanging out, not making Hanging out. ships. Yeah, and what's taking them that long to assimilate? I mean, I guess there is a lot of people, but... Um, hmm. I kind of thought that they were already done, that they're just, they've finished with Earth and they're just... Hanging out? Well, I think what they were... I think... I think Riker's sense of urgency is that they've been fighting a losing war trying to distract the Borg from assimilating everyone. Uh, okay. So, you know, billions of people on Earth, and, um, you know, it's taking time. Okay. And their attacks are slowing them down. So he wants, you know, our Picard's help uh, before they complete the job. Right. All right, I can see that. Yeah, so. Right, and there might also be another mystery going on here that they haven't really... Told us yet? Told us yet. Mm. And and I kind of skipped it out of my synopsis, and I think you might have as well. But they do kind of speculate that the rift that's open between the two parallel universes is right. radiating from Earth. So there might be some storyline in regards to how the parallel universes are being connected. Oh. so It, it does seem like quite a coincidence. Right. Uh, of all the incredible number of parallel universes supposedly out there that we happen to connect up a successful Enterprise crew that was able to beat the Borg and maybe have a better idea about how to do it with another dimension where the the Earth and the Federation has not been 100% uh, defeated yet. Right. So it does seem like quite a coincidence, but hey. Right. This stuff's and, all, and why yeah. would the... You know, the time-space displacement be originating from Earth. 
Yeah. Well, in that issue where they talk about where the differences seem to be, was it Data that said that? Something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Uh, when he was first figuring out, hey, this is this, this is a different dimension. We're in a different dimension. Too many things are the same, but um, there's too many things that are different, and they all seem to be uh, emanating from Earth. That's what mm-hmm. he was saying, and I think right. that's what you were referring to. But it's like, well, what? I don't even know what that means. I mean, what does it mean, Data? I I, I don't get it. But if if it does relate to something more uh more in the storyline that we haven't been uh fully explained about yet, that that would be interesting. Well, can I can I give you my uh thoughts on what that means? Oh, cuz I I have sure, not read the later issues, so I'm totally oh, okay. guessing here. Okay, good. Go. Um I kind of think that perhaps Data from the alternate dimension did not die. Hmm. And I think that somehow he has devised this um, this way to bring uh, uh, to bring help to their universe. Oh, interesting thought. Or Lacutus is doing it himself. Oh. Hmm. Those are my two theories. And I know they contradict each other, but <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I either you know either one could. Well, all you're saying is two of the two of the two of the crew that are not involved in this story. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, one of them could have done it. You know? All right. And my third theory is that Crusher is on Earth <laughs> doing it. My fourth theory uh, is that Guinan, on Guinan doing it. who we still don't know the full extent of her powers, is exactly. doing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. My, fifth, my fifth theory is the Traveler's doing it. <laughs> I'm just going to go through the whole roster of next-gen characters. My, uh, yeah, my other theory is that Q's, for some reason, helping us out. Ooh, that's probably more <laughs> that's it's probably more plausible, but the thing is it's Q that brought us together in the first place before we should have been in contact with him. Thanks a lot, Q. Anyway. Um and uh he could always end up being the outrageous Akuna. <laughs> he has no ability to do anything like this. Right. I mean uh-huh. he can't even shave for cry Pete's. Okay. <laughs> that's good. So do you think that they actually separated the saucer section and the battle section similar to how they did in Best of Both Worlds Part 2, uh, but they just didn't do the antimatter spread? I think I think you're right. And that, then, that's the way I'm reading it. And I also am reading it that that's when the, the, sh- the saucer section was destroyed. That or at some point afterward. I yeah. think it's a little unclear, but it would kind of make sense that it happened closer to that time because you know the ships were separated. Right, but what doesn't make sense is that Shelby would have been in charge of that saucer section, and yet she's still alive. So yeah, well. I don't see her as the captain jumps off the ship first. Uh, I think that she Type. would be going down with the ship if, if that's if that's how it was going to be going down. So I think. Oh, but but how about this? It sounded like they said they had to abandon the ship or the saucer section. So it took such damage that it, and, and people were killed while it was taking that damage. Maybe some of the characters we've been talking about, but some of the people did survive on the saucer section, and they were able to get to the battle bridge or the battle 
section. Well, then that would imply that maybe they weren't, maybe they, maybe the two halves weren't disconnected. Well, they got transporters, but whatever. Yeah. yeah so you think they took their shields down to transport over while the saucer section was getting destroyed? Uh, maybe the saucer section was so damaged in the in the conflict with the Borg that they ultimately lost that maybe the Borg just took focused on Earth left the two ships in whatever condition they were in, and ultimately the saucer section was too damaged for set to be salvaged, right. and then they, they beamed the survivors across, of which Shelby was one of them. I don't know. Okay, well, that I, I'll buy that one. I, I just couldn't see how she would leave all the families and all of the... Oh, yeah. All the, you know, the, the and, doctors and, and stuff on the, on the saucer section and, yeah. and jump over to the battle bridge. Right, well... But no, your scenario is plausible. Well, thank you. Because they don't tell you, so who knows? Yeah. But... And, 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 and that whole thing more and more underscores how I'm questioning the wisdom of this whole saucer section separating thing. I mean, the thing's a sitting duck. It's like, okay, you know, you separate, and okay, the saucer section goes limping away at sublight speed. While the battle bridge goes into, or the battle section goes into into battle, it's like, well, what if you lose? And then you got the, <laughs> you got this sitting duck here with all your people on board. I don't know, or not all, but a lot. You know. Can't lose. That's that's the trick. Right, exactly. Right. I don't know. I, I, it's better than than having the whole thing together to blow up together in a battle, but. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Good point. I don't know. Yeah, so um, Shelby is prickly. She's still prickly. She's still prickly Shelby before she became all nice Shelby at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part 2. Yes, she's, she, well, her idea was not, uh, he didn't do her idea, so she's bitter about that. Yeah, but, I mean, she was kind of a bitter individual all through, all through the t- the two TV shows or right. episodes until the very end when Riker turned out to know everything and you know be the hero and then she was kind of cool like hey okay you're not that bad <laughs> but until then she was a real pain right and she's still a real pain uh, in this one uh, talking about uh, mutiny and all that kind of stuff yeah I don't ever see her character lightening up until maybe maybe New Frontier when she gets married to Calhoun but yeah. Every other appearance she's been in, she's kind of a, a witch. <laughs> yeah, that's the word. Witch. That's it. Yes, witch. Yes, she's very uh, aggressive, competitive, and uh, winner-take-all right. attitude. Yes. So I don't like her in this yet. And she's going to end up being the fly in the ointment, I know. She's going to be that extra you know, bit of conflict that almost ruins everything. Before this is all said and done. But of course, it'll all work out fine in the end. Right. Yep. Well, well, well we hope so. We hope so. I'm pretty sure it's the way it's going to happen. Although <laughs> it would be kind of interesting if they failed, but somehow got back to their own dimension anyway. It's like, sorry, man, we tried, you know. We tried, you know. Sorry, Ipatch Riker. Couldn't do it. <laughs> or they, what, ha- what would happen if they killed off 
our Riker and Eyepatch Riker has to come back to our universe and pretend <laughs> to be regular Riker for the rest of the series. Until Thomas Riker comes back and takes over for him. Oh, man. Good point. Yeah, you know, Thomas Riker always had the goatee and not the beard, so... You know, maybe maybe this is really Thomas. Maybe, maybe. Um, when they first, mm, so in that episode where 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 Riker and his his twin come together and they come up with a use the middle name whatever. Um, mm-hmm. did he have a beard too? Or did I he, thought was he was he clean shaven there? But I, I that, think that yeah. Yeah, but I think when he shows up on Deep Space Nine, he has the goatee. He has the goatee. Okay, cool. Right. Cool. Okay. Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, I do. I did not buy Picard's arguments at all that he has to go no. uh, on that at all. That was very contrived, I thought. But whatever. It's kind of it. it it's a nice difference in in how the the scenario plays out. I think. Uh, right. I, I just thought the reasons, the the logic behind it, were kind of weak. Agreed. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. And, and that everybody was like, okay, yeah, y- your vengeance is more important than than <laughs> Worf's vengeance. <laughs> well, no, I I thought part of the I thought part of the logic was that who could know Locutus better, and you know, get through to him, or you know on the fly, figure out things about him, what he might do, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's what he says. That's what he said. But it's all about vengeance. It's all about vengeance. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Could be right. And uh, just to... I want to recant my Thomas Riker comment. He had a full beard in that episode. Oh, did he? Because that would have been more practical. Although I think it would have been cooler if he didn't have the beard. Right, that, that um, he shaved just for that episode. Exactly, that would have been awkward. That would have been hard to do. Why? Uh, it's pretty easy. Just rake a razor over there, and Boom. then and then wear a fake beard until it until it grows back. Exactly. Could have. Could have. Right. Well, he shaves it off for that episode of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, but was Next Gen even in production then? No, no. they were they were in the middle of the movies. Okay. Between right. um, generations and first contact. Right. And then he shaved off for your favorite. Uh, Nemesis. Yeah, he did. Was it Nemesis or was it the... Um, oh, no. Insurrection. Insurrection. That's it. Yeah. Where everybody's feeling younger and friskier. In yeah. the bathtub scene. Exactly. Yes. All right. Enough about beards. Yes. So did you not think that the Keiko looked uh, oh. like a different nationality? It, she was totally Caucasian. It's like <laughs> she didn't look Asian at all. Right. She looked like Princess Leia, I thought. Ah, but without the uh, the earmuffs, uh, right. earmuff hair. Right. Yeah, I, I thought that was bad. And, and I don't remember. I don't remember the details of Molly, uh, how, how, what her face looked like. But that kid had no Asian characteristics at all in right. his comic. Yeah. yeah. She, Molly looks very Asian. Yeah. Not very, you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Enough. She has Asian characteristics where right. this little girl did not. Yeah. Okay. But, Agreed. And then, what is Crusher doing there? Uh, That's Crusher, where? Why is she with the O'Brien sipping tea when she's already oh, acknowledged whoa, whoa. that everybody on the bridge might be dead? 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I would I would be getting to the to the bottom of things. It makes no sense except for the fact that it's very handy that <laughs> you are able to take care of in the as few a number of panels as possible the reunion of Wesley and his alternate mother and of course the O'Brien thing going on. That way you right. can get both out of the way quickly. You don't have to go to two different places. Right, but I hated that, you know, last issue, she notices something's wrong with the bridge crew, and then, then the first time we see her here, she's relaxing, having a cup of tea. <laughs> saying, hey, I, those people on the bridge will someday answer my calls. And then they hear Shelby's taking over. Oh, well, that's good. Shelby's hey, Shelby's back. All's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't make sense. No. All right, what else you got? On page 11... Why the heck did Wesley ask Dr. Crusher whether our Enterprise crew has a chance of helping them take Earth back? I mean, it's like, how would she know? I mean, she she just found out what was going on recently. I mean, she's not over there powwowing about what they're talking about doing. She's not privy to the plan or anything. Yeah, but it's his mom. Even though he knows that it's not his mom, it's his mom. So I don't <sighs> I kind of so, felt like that was a, okay. you know, him kind of being you know, kid, little kiddish. Yeah. Exactly, that must have been it because it makes no sense otherwise. No. So it makes no sense why he would ask. And then likewise, she comes back and says, "I don't know, but we're sure as hell gonna try." It's like, how do you know? I mean, <laughs> were you on that? Were you beamed over mysteriously to that other battle section? And do you know Picard's decisions and everything? And what, what, the, what the game plan is? It's like, what? <laughs> okay, well, fine. I mean, because Picard wasn't going to try at first. He was saying, my first responsibility is to my crew. And it's like, ah, I hate that whole interaction. <laughs> I'm with you. It was, it was bad. Yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that. So, um, so okay, so Riker's managed to, so right off the off the bat, Shelby doesn't like him and is forming insurrection, especially now that her idea about uh, plasma stuff coming out was it was a good distraction tactic, and now Worf is pissed at him. Because he almost had to pull uh, his phaser out of his very cool shoulder holster. By the way, love that. But it's a dustbuster phaser. <laughs> how was he hiding? How was he hiding that one underneath his jacket? Uh, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> and so and so now Worf is pissed at him, and then it seemed like O'Brien was kind of up with the idea, kind of, sort of, of mutiny. Uh, at you know when they first get over to the enterprise, the, our enterprise's bridge, Shelby and he. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, yeah, insurrection should be interesting. Next issue, or the issue after that, or the issue after that depends how far they stretch this baby out. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like the mutiny will happen after the Borg thing is resolved, but before they can return back to their universe. That's my wow. guess. Ow. Really? Hmm. <clears throat> well, that that's possible. Hmm. That's my guess. So maybe Shelby wants a real ship instead of that bucket of bolts yeah, beat exactly. up. So I'm going to take this one. Yeah. yeah I could see that happening because she is not a nice person in this one. Indeed. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, I also, I also kind of wonder and question... 
why is Shelby in command of the better ship anyway, and both Rikers are hanging out on the dilapidated ship? Yeah, I didn't get that either. They should have a Riker on each ship. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they, they, they've already said, I'm buying into this. Let's do it. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't why, get why. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Why put Shelby in command? Actually, what you should do is have Picard in command, at least until Picard goes ahead and says, for no good reason at all, I'm going to go on the away mission. So, <laughs> uh, anyway. So maybe it is setting things up for what you had just said. Yeah, you know, maybe well, she wants to take the ship at the at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's my that's my feel. I think it's a, I think it's a good theory. Mm, thanks. A worthy theory. Okay, that's the last thing I have to say. Last thing. Okay. All right. Well, then that uh, finishes this up. Then. Okay. And uh, I guess we will come back next week. Oh, actually, uh, we have to do our elsewheres. Well, we don't have to, but yes. Well, we should at least acknowledge that there was some uh, Next Generation episodes coming out these three months. There was. May, June, and July. This was uh, Season 6, right? Yes, Season 6. All right, so what was the first one? The first one was Frame of Mind, and that was Episode 147, apparently. Hmm. Hmm. And in this one, Riker went a little wacko. So Riker switches between mental realities, performing in a play on the Enterprise in one reality, and then the other reality uh, being in some kind of alien asylum for the criminally insane uh, and charged with murder. So it seems like he's really there in the one instance, and in the other instance, he's in a play acting out the, the same scenario. Right. So yeah, I like that. I like that episode. It's very Twilight Zone-ish. I I kind of liked it too. It's just one of my favorite characters and actors in in Next Gen is Riker. Definitely like Riker, like Frakes. Um, but I gotta say, <clears throat> my opinion is just my opinion that I think from an acting standpoint, this took him one step out of his um his his range so uh i i just didn't think he did the best acting acting job possible hmm. i just wasn't <laughs> buying it huh all right i thought i i haven't seen it in a long time i just remember when that show came out and i was like oh this was a really good episode yeah it was good it was interesting just the only chink in the armor. I thought Frakes could have done a little better job. That's all. That's all. All right. Okay. So what was next? <clears throat> the next one is Suspicions. And this one's interesting. It has a little bit more of a Crusher focus on it. So the quick overview is, relieved of duty and facing a court-martial, Dr. Crusher tells of her support of a Ferengi scientist and the trouble that ensued from an applied test of his theories. So, uh, this Ferengi scientist ends up getting killed uh, on the Enterprise, and, uh, well, it, it it's a very Crusher-focused episode. Yeah, that one's not ringing any bells, so... Yeah, uh-huh. not it, not 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 many bells for me. I remember a little bit of it, 
but uh, I don't remember the details of what was going on in it, unfortunately. Yeah, I think this one is, and I only know this because I looked it up earlier, um, mm-hmm. is the last episode Guinan was ever in. Oh. Well, so, it does it does mention Guinan in this. Right. Guinan oh. visits Dr. Crusher in her quarters, complaining of tennis elbow. Gosh, I hope she did more than that in her final episode. Right. But she, yeah, so this is her last episode. She won't show back up until Generations. Oh, uh, interesting. Uh. So that means she was not in ep- Season 7 at all. I, I, that's weird, because even though she's not in it, you always think that she's there. Yeah. And then she ends up back in Generations, so that's kind of interesting. Well, I think she, she is there. She's just not there. Well, okay, so you're saying that in the sto- <laughs> all the episodes, they just basically didn't write her any any speaking right. parts, any anything. Right. But I'm just saying, when you think back of Star Trek, you just always assume she's there. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and watch some more season seven. Yeah, it. I, I think season seven was starting to get kind of thin. Some of the episodes were just not as, just didn't have the same chutzpah as they used yeah. to. I think. Remember there was that horrible bug episode, the de-evolution episode. Oh, the de-evolution one. That was terrible. <laughs> when I think of bad episodes, that's the one that pops to my head. It it does. It really does. So. Uh, Picard becomes a Lemur or something like that, a little primate guy. Oh, that's right. And Barkley uh, becomes a spider or something. Oh, yeah. Or somebody becomes a spider, I can't remember. Yeah, and then Worf becomes some kind of big, nasty uh, creature. Right. Which, did we ever see it? I don't know that we saw it, just heard it a lot. Uh, I don't right. know. I that don't wasn't remember. a good one. But that's not this issue. No. That was like right up there with like Spock's brain for the Taz crew. <laughs> that was so bad. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, my God. Anyway. Uh, so the, the next issue or the next episode was what? Rightful Air. And that is the Kalis the Unforgettable episode? It is. So we get to see Kalis. Uh, For the come, second time. Yes. Coming in and helping Worf, kind of, when he was in the middle of uh, – uh, strife in his his own perceptions of, of what a Klingon should be and that kind of stuff. So in this episode, uh, Worf suffers a crisis of faith, which leads him to an encounter with a seemingly resurrected messiah of ancient Klingon religious beliefs. He soon finds himself caught between supporting the religious figure and the more secular leader of the conventional Klingon political power structure. So, Right. So I think this is very analogous to if we can perform human cloning and we have yeah. what we think are droplets of you know Jesus's blood or something could we clone him you know yeah. I, I think that's where they were going for because you know Kalis is the the biggest religious figure in Klingon culture apparently so and I think there was talk at this time that that you know they were like saying if this really was you know the the shroud of or or whatever uh that had jesus blood you know could we clone him should we clone him (laughs) and then you know you know the whole you you remember i mean i'm not making this part up i do remember there being talk like that uh, around the the early 90s yeah when things a possibility sure it's a lot of conjecture 
blah, 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 blah. Right. Because I, I can't see there being enough. I mean, even if that the shroud of whatever, whatever, is, supposedly was the burial shroud, it's like, is there really going to be enough DNA material that you could do something with it? Really? And even if you did, how would you know it's Christ? Right, I mean, exactly. I, you, whoever grows out of that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it would be born right. conventionally in a, in a lady's womb after after the stuff was done to, to, to germinate the egg, whatever. Um, right, that's how current cloning works. Right, and then, it would, and then the child would grow up, and it's like, Hey, you're Jesus Christ. And he'd be going, huh? I don't know. <laughs> Do you got an Xbox 360? It's like, yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> yes, but this Kalis at least was given all the memories of all the scriptures and stuff of Kalis. So right. he truly thought that he was Kalis. And I, right. I kind of like that idea that, you know, he didn't know that he was a clone. Yeah. Uh, so as far as. You know, I agree with what you're saying, but I liked what they did with this episode of Star right. Trek. Yeah. And, and I don't always like <clears throat> when Star Trek tries to make a, an analogy towards religion, because I, I don't think they always play it fairly. But I thought this one was actually done pretty well. Yeah. Well, um, it was it's written still... by... Oh, go ahead. It was it was written by Ronald D. Moore, who was one of the co-creators of the Battlestar Galactica revival. Uh, and oh. also very involved with uh, Deep Space Nine um, production. So, um, very good writer that was involved. Yeah. And in as far as expanded universe stuff, uh, Kalis, this version of Kalis, does make some appearances in some Michael Jan Friedman books, um, which the main one that comes to mind is entitled Kalis, which is a really good book where Worf and Kalis have a, an adventure kind of together hmm. uh, set after this episode. It, it's pretty good. I recommend uh, anybody looking that one up and giving it a read. Huh. Good. I don't think I've seen that one. Um, yeah. It, it's probably at your local used bookstore. <sighs> For a very reasonable price. <laughs> okay. So the next episode is Second Chances, speaking of Thomas Ryder. <laughs> so indeed, this is the one where we find out that due to a transporter issue, years ago, Riker beamed up to the Enterprise, or actually beamed up to a ship. Was it the Enterprise? Well, whatever. Uh, no, it was the Potemkin, wasn't it? Oh, the Potemkin? Okay. Um, but I also a reflection. <laughs> I bought it. <laughs> um, but a reflection... Of the transport beam materialized on the planet also. The planet that was uh, basically uh, the the installation that was there was being uh, – everybody left, evacuated, whatever. So uh, this alternate and identical version of Riker hangs out in this facility alone for many, many years. And – the Enterprise crew ends up coming back for some reason, I don't recall, and we find that we have a second Riker in the universe, free and about to run around. Yep. And of course, Thomas. What is Thomas? Why did he take the name Thomas? That's his middle name. That's Riker's middle name, exactly. William so. T. Riker. Not, exactly. Not, not Tiberius. Or Tiberius. Uh, Thaddeus. That was a big <laughs> mistake, wasn't it? Oops. Tiberius. Yeah. Not Tiberius. 
but Thomas, right? So I, yes. I thought this was an interesting one. I mean, what do you do if, through no fault of anybody's, you have a duplicate there? It's not like you've got some moral thing going on. Oh, it's a clone! Kill it! No, which happened in the first season, was it? I don't know. Uh, of what? The, next gen. Who was it? Well, okay, so there was an episode in, I think it was the first season, but maybe it was the second season, where the next-gen crew had come upon a, a cloning, a, a colony or something, where they had used cloning, and they needed fresh blood, and they didn't know it, but they had taken some of the genes from some of the landing party, and they had created clones of Riker and others of the landing party. Wow, that sounds familiar, but I can't, I can't put my finger on the specifics well, yeah it isn't one of the better ones in the world but in the end uh, before they become fully mature i'm pretty sure they decided to kill them hmm. the clones that is anyway so in this case you know through no fault of his own there's two of them and so thomas Riker ends up going off to have a life uh in the shadow of his um of his other self Right, which he he bristles under, and we'll see that in a later Deep Space Nine episode. Exactly, where he makes a very interesting career choice. Thomas does. He sure does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I really like this episode. I I just, I love, you know, Thomas spending all that time thinking that, you know, know, in his eyes, he never broke up with Troy. So Exactly. Even though, you know, it's kind of like, cast away when Tom Hanks showed back up and she'd moved on thinking that he was dead. Right. But, you know, to to come to find out that if you showed up and then not only did she not think you were dead, but she thought you were somebody, you know, that you're really somebody else. I just, I loved this episode. Yeah. yeah that, that was very, I was going to mention the same thing. Right. It's very interesting. Which get, they, get, oh, go ahead. Oh, just getting that little glimpse into that window when Riker and Deanna were an item. Right. Yeah, it was great. Yep. And and uh Marvel comics kind of, you know, not that this not has to do with Star Trek, but they kind of tried to do the same thing where they, you know, m- many years after Mary Jane and Spider-Man had been Peter Parker had been married, they come to find out that oh, this other guy is the real Peter Parker. You've been married to the clone all these years. Oh you God! Know, then, then there was this whole like it was called the clone saga. Which which one of these is the real Peter Parker? Which one's the clone? Uh, and it was kind of the same. You know, they, they stretched it out longer in in the comic book than than what they did in this one is, issue or this one episode. Right. But kind of the same idea, and I really like that idea. Well, you know, if, I, I'm thinking of it as if you were the guy that shows up and come to find out that sure. You know, sure. You know, somebody, you, the love of your life has been living a life with somebody who she thinks is you, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And how yep. would that, how would you feel if you. Sure. I, so, I so that whole Spider Man scenario sounds patently ridiculous to me, but did they execute well? Was it good? Uh, no, they executed it horribly. And it's considered <laughs> one of the worst uh, Spider Man story arcs of all time. Oh. Uh, uh, because they milked it and they, they, uh, then they spun off and they had, you know, Mary Jane had to go figure things out. And then there was still one of them who thought he was Peter Parker kept going on as Spider-Man. The other one went on and became the Scarlet Spider 
and he oh. took the name Ben Riley, which was his uncle Ben's name. Oh. And then not so that's okay. Okay, now there's two spider there's two basically Spider Man. Okay, great. Well then come to find out, oh wait a minute, I'm really Peter Parker and he's the clone. And then they tried to do it again and it's just like, Oh, come on, just <laughs> end it. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, oh, they, wow. they it went on for like a year. It w- right. and it was just like Everybody, everybody agrees that that's one of the worst Spider-Man uh, story arcs of all time. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, yeah, but you know it's a good premise. Yeah, they just you got to execute well on it and don't right. milk it forever. Exactly. Okay, so that's second chances, um, and that aired on uh, May of 1993. So let's let's we're gonna try to pick up the pace a little bit because sure. this is running long. But the next one is Timescape, which I don't remember a lot of details about, but Apparently, there's some time things going on where people are freezing in place, uh, members of the Enterprise crew, and then there's a Romulan crew also involved, and for some reason, Deanna is not time frozen like everybody else for some reason, and she's able to do something to rectify things. Who knows? Right, and I, th- and I think Picard also isn't frozen, or at least he becomes unfrozen at some point. I think you're right, because uh, Picard is away from the Enterprise in a runabout, uh, and he's on his oh, way back both of to the Enterprise. Troy, Troy and Picard are, are on the on that runabout. Oh, is that how they, yeah, they got away no, from right. being affected by it? Okay. Right, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I remember this issue, or this episode, and, and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I can't remember the specifics. But uh, I remember liking it. Yeah, I don't remember enough about it. But let's get to the last one, which... I've never heard of. you never heard of Descent? Oh, Descent, Descent. Uh, you, of course I've kidding. heard of it. It's great. You're kidding, of course. Of course. Uh, it, anything with lore, come on. So we have lore coming back again. Uh, Data's evil twin brother, you know, coming back to mix things up. Only this time, he's got a few buddies. Yes. Uh, that happen to be Borgs. Now, is Hugh in this one too, or is that the next issue, or the next episode? I, uh, I don't remember you being involved in Descent, uh, one or two, but maybe he was. Definitely, you was very important, because it is his ideas of individuality that he brought back to the Borg Collective, which caused dissension in the Borg Collective and resulted in this set of Borg that were so confused about life now uh, with the idea of personal choice that they end up following lore. So right. he was very important. So he came back in to this to this story? You? I'm trying to remember. I thought he did. Mike but I might Riley. be getting it confused with um, a, a book I read. No, I think you're right, because I'm looking at the guest actors, and one is Jonathan Del Arco, who plays you. Okay. H- so, H-U-G-U. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that's you, the Borg. Right, it is. Yeah. Okay, so he's actually in it. It's not just flashback footage. Ah. I don't know. All I know is he's <laughs> all I know is he's he's listed uh, actor in the episode. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. I know that uh, I read the uh, the novelization of this, which I think is written by J. M. Dillard. 
I'm okay. not being mistaken. Right. Uh, but I think he's in that if he's not in the episode itself. I can't remember. Ah. Sometimes they add stuff in the in the books. Right. So uh, the original, I guess, story was written by Rene Ashavarai, well, whatever. But the final teleplay was, again, by Ronald D. Moore. Right. Yeah, and, and the more I think about it, he's definitely in it. He might not be in the first one, but he's in the second one when they try to do the whole move away from lore thing. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, so, good episode. I like yeah, it. I thought it was good. I thought it was good, too. I, I, I like seeing lore in there again. Um, and I thought the the Borg ship... Uh, a very asymmetrical kind of wacko uh, shaped ship. I thought that was uh, pretty cool, pretty cool looking, and of course that was so appropriate for this disorganized, disjointed, non-unified set of Borg, as opposed right. to the perfect cube you normally see them running around in. Right, and and then this issue or this episode, do they? say that this is all the Borg, or do they actually say that this is only a subset? Because oh, I know a, they go back and retcon it and say it's a subset, but... Yeah, it's. I think they always said this was like a renegade element of the Borg society. Okay. And this is also the one where Jordy's able to do transwarp all of a sudden, and then he can never do it again. Ah. Because it's convenient. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that's it for this uh, this this time period. That is. All right. Any other comments? I don't want to cut you off. Nope. None. Okay. So uh, that brings us to the end of this episode, and we will be coming back next week, where we will kind of mix things up a little bit. Uh, originally, we had original series issues forty nine through fifty one scheduled. But uh, we've already covered 50 and 51 back when we did our Gary 7. Gary 7. Uh, Spectacular. Episodes. Yes. So next week we'll actually do just issue 49 of the original series. And then we'll do annual number four of the next generation. Uh, because we've already done the original series annual number four back when we were doing our Pike series. So... So we have kind of these two orphaned issues, and we're just going to make one episode out of it next week. That sounds great. All right. So uh, I guess until next week, we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you listening in on The Review. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.